Welcome to this edition of Why We Plan. My name is John Brown. I'm the founder of BEI, uh, an organization that trains and supports other advisors around North America in exit planning, training, tools, and products. So welcome. Uh, and with me today is Vince Tadana. Welcome, Vince. Good to be here, John. So Vince and I go back a long way. And so naturally, I'm going to throw him a couple curveballs. So Vince, uh, the first thing is, tell us about your practice. And I, and I want to preface this by saying, Vince is one of the most successful financial and insurance advisors in this country. He has a wealth of experience. Um, so with that, Vince, tell us about it. So, John, on September 1st, I will be celebrating my 44th anniversary in the business. I know I don't look that old, but it's, it's 44 years. Wow. Um, I've I built a practice around, um, let's call it high wealth estate planning. 95% uh, of my business comes from other advisors because I have this narrow specialty. Um, and then uh, if I looked at my Activities, I would say 70% are business owners, 25% mm -hmm. real estate investors, and 5% are hedge fund managers. And that's really, if you think about it, that's where the money is in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, I was at a NAPIC conference, that's the National Association of Estate Planners and Councils, and it might be about 15 years ago. And you were speaking, and you, your, your topic was exit planning for estate planners. Wow. It was What a good topic. It was a great topic. And <laughs> I went to the session because I said, okay, what, what could this be? And I had never met you before. I knew nothing about the organization. And I was in a room that was probably 70% attorneys. And you were talking about this, this realm of exit planning that I had never thought of. And I'm, and I'm sitting there, and, and the, the conversation I had in my head well, first of all, I, I, got, I got the impression that the folks that were in the room could not connect the dots and understand why this was important. You are probably correct in that assumption even today. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I got it. And, and that, by the way, that's the huge opportunity in the exit planning space is that there are people who don't get it as a discipline and that, and that it's a multidisciplinary approach to getting right. people out of their business. But, so I'm sitting there going, here I am helping business owners protect their wealth from divorce, lawsuit, and transfer taxes, maybe even eliminating all the transfer taxes. And I'm not helping them with the most important day of their lives, which is well, one of the most important days of their lives, which is the day they get out of their business. I said, okay, I got to like do something about that. And I went to the boot camp, and it was an old building that you were in. It was a long time ago. And but, I think I can take it from here Oh, for you're not going to tell that story, are you? I'm going to tell that story. Oh, my God. Okay. So, again, this was 15, maybe 20 years ago. I, I don't quite remember. But uh, we used to do all of our initial training, which we called boot camp, uh, in a, over the course of two days. And back then, of course, you had to travel. We didn't have Zoom or anything else. So the morning of the first day of boot camp, I arrived at the office, and somebody said, Hey, John, somebody's already in the conference room. So I said, oh, I better go introduce myself. So I walk into the conference room, and there's Vince. Vince Dodani sitting at the head of the table. Um, and Vince looked up. He said, hey, 
are you John Brown? I said, yes, I'm John Brown. He said, well, I'm Vince Tadano, and I want you to know one thing. I said, what's that? He said, I don't think I'm going to learn a single new thing in the next day and a half. Is that not true? Well, you know, you've told this story now for the last 15 years, <laughs> and there's some embellishment there. But it's, it's pretty, getting it's a pretty, little better. It's, it's pretty close. You're <laughs> in the right church, maybe the wrong pew, but it's basically the story. So what did interest, interest you in exit planning, and, and how has that changed your practice, especially with business owners? The, um, well, first of all, I learned a tremendous amount in that session. There were bankers in the room, accountants, attorneys, some financial advisors, and, um, and some of them, I think, had some familiarity with you already. They, they had been there before, something yeah, like that. Awesome, yeah. And <clears throat> what, I, what, I, what I learned, or what I was made aware of, is that many things that we each do in our individual professions it shifts when there's an overarching context of the exit. Uh, I'll give you a good example. And I said this to you last night when we were talking. Um, I think for the first 30 years of my career, I sold no key man life insurance. Or, ver or it, it, uh, trace amounts. Let's mm -hmm. call it trace amounts. And the reason why... And it's not like I'm not a good questioner, but I would say to somebody, business owner, like, tell me about, you know, Joe, your key employee. And they'd go, well, yeah, he's key, but if something happened to him, if he left, I'd be fine. And I accepted that mm. as an answer. I mean, it was an answer, but it was the wrong question. Um, inside the context of exit planning, the question might have been, if something happened to Joe, would it have an impact on EBITDA? Would it have affected some area of the business where you would produce less revenue? Because businesses typically sell on a multiple of, of EBITDA. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if, so if, let's say, the multiple for this particular firm was seven times, and this individual, let's say, we'll call it handled something like a half a million dollars of EBITDA, You'd be talking about $3.5 million of value that walks out the door when the client, when this particular individual dies or leaves. Mm -hmm. That changes everything in the conversation because now I could say, well, I'm not talking, I, I'm sure you're going to be fine. Like you built the business without him, you're going to be fine. But have you thought of it in this way? Mm -hmm. And they go, well, you know what? I got to do something about that. And then it opens up two paths. The first is you got to do something if he dies. And then you have to be really careful about trying to retain that individual because if you don't retain your good people, you're, you got problems. Right. Yeah. You know? And so, and there's a few other things. I mean, there's so many things that I learned in, in, inside of this domain. Like um, if you have a concentration of, of customers, your business is worth less. If you're not holding on to, if you don't have retention agreements with your key employees, your business is worth less. The other thing that I learned was, um, and this is, and by the way, this has become part of me. It's not like I have to go do a reference book in order to get there. Once, yeah. you're, once you're in the conversation, once you've come to a bunch of BI annual conferences, you get that everybody's kind of rowing the boat in the same direction, and, and it's all about having the business owner have the life that they want, ultimately, after their career. But um, 
I remember where I was going with that. But the, the, all these pieces are conversation points, and they, they enhance my value in the client's eyes. Absolutely. And I think it, I think, look, our business, all of us here, our business is the relationship business. You know, and it's nice that people have friends. But in this relationship, it is who is going to produce the most value in the long run, who could be a contribution in the life of that business owner that holds you there for very long durations. And, and that's why what we're doing here is really special. And here is at our annual conference. Yes, right yes. And, and, and anywhere else that we have these conversations right. about right. exiting. And what has always intrigued me is there's this great need that you've recognized and you're working on, but so few other professionals in any profession would ever ask those questions. No. Uh, what happens if your key person dies? Well, I'll get some key person insurance. Okay. What happens if they leave? What happens if they leave and they take four of your best customers or two of your other best employees or maybe some trade secrets that you had? Uh, I've seen, and that's how I think I learned a lot about exit planning is I encountered owners where they didn't do any planning and it's just not a good result. I mean, their key people left. They took half of the clients. I mean, um, or they died and they didn't have a continuity plan. So there's just an awful lot of what I'd call non-planning in our planning world. So um, one of the things that I've said to clients, I say this to other advisors when I talk to them, is I think most people are familiar with black swan events. Mm-hmm. Okay. A black swan event is something that is unpredictable, unanticipated, uh, incalculable in many cases, like the 2008 crash, except for some people who made a movie, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, the fellow who wrote The Big Short, uh, there, there were some people who identified it like they figured it out in advance. The reality is that black swan event couldn't have been, there's nothing that could have been done in, in advance. You can't insure against the black swan event. You can't have documents that mm-hmm. ensure a black swan. In the event of a black swan event, I hereby, yeah, you, know, you can't have that. However, there are gray swan events. And these are things that can happen for which you can take an action in advance to mitigate the effect of the gray swan. And those things are employees leaving, employees dying, the business owner likely, ha- I mean, everybody dies. So there's a likely estate tax problem. There could be a family equalization problem. You have business active kids and non, you know, business non-active kids. And so all, all those things for the advisor who's in the space, you are really addressing a whole bunch of gray swan issues mm-hmm. and handling them in such a way that the probability of success in the exit is likely. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's funny. Uh, there's another thing that I say often, which is, um, when somebody says, well, that's a low probability event, they go, okay, it's a low probability event. I'm not concerned with the probability event. I'm concerned with the order of magnitude of its effect, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's, it, you know, if you think about liability umbrella, you know, $10 million liability, but it costs $2,000. Why? Because the probability event is low. But the reason why you have $10 million liability umbrella is because the order of magnitude 
of the loss is gigantic. And as long as you can insure or protect against or mitigate with your documents or protection products, you can mitigate against those things, you've done a very good job. You know, and that's, I mean, there are so many areas that are not typically covered by even good business advisors, insurance advisors, attorneys, whatever. You know, and one of those, just speaking of risk, is most advisors do very little risk minimization work with their clients. And to your point, insurance is incredibly inexpensive compared to the consequences of you know a serious event, um, whether it's a hack in your your IT and everything crashes, and uh, from that to um, you know a truck driver delivering goods from your business to somebody else and they run into a school bus. I mean, those are unlikely, but it's but when it happens, it's devastating. Yeah, it's just devastating, and that's what planning advisors need to do: is to say, here's the risk. Do you want to protect against it either by insurance or documentation or whatever? And the client can say, no, that's okay. I'm going to take that risk. You need to document that in your notes, by the way. Well, absolutely. So, yeah, so the point is, is that if, if there is something like that that you can address, like we could tell, we could tell uh, clients what they should do. We can't make them do anything. Right. So you have to make a compelling and seductive argument that says, okay, I understand the order of magnitude of the potential loss. I'm willing to do something about that. If they don't do it, they have to understand the order of magnitude of the loss that they're exposed to. I have a client, or had a client, he's he since uh, exited. Um, he was in the fuel delivery business. It was actually my first exit planning case. Um, and we had... It's actually a, funny, a whole bunch of funny things associated with that case. But the, you know, the original plan was to engineer a key employee exit. And we had all figured that out. And then when I went to present, the key employee looks at me and goes, I mean, when, when he leaves, I'm leaving. I, you know, I'm not sticking <laughs> around. Okay. So we knew that we had a third-party transaction. Yeah. So we had engineered everything to be for a third-party transaction. And then one day, one of his fuel trucks tipped over on the highway. And his insurance premium went up tenfold, and then he had to sell, and he sold short. But we had done enough things along the way that he was—he's still fine. He's living where he's—he's li- he's living on the beach somewhere, and I can't tell you where. But you know, I don't want anybody to piece it together. Yeah. But you know, he's got a great life, and it's because we did all that work up until that moment, and then a really weird circumstance. I mean, he was very lucky that the tank didn't. Um, explode or explode burn, or turn yeah. over or leak or anything. Actually, <clears throat> ironically, he also had a propane delivery business that was inside of his distribution business. That's the way the business was set up originally. And I and I said, there's another funny story associated with that case. I said, I think you really we have to separate the propane business because the goose that laid the golden egg was the distribution business. Mm-hmm. I said, you have to separate it because you're, you know, you think about it, those are rolling bombs. Every one of the, matter of fact, in New York State, there was this situation where a propane truck blew up and melted the highway uh, interstate I 87. And I believe all that, and this is like 20 years ago, I think all the claims have finally been paid like a couple of years ago. It, it just, I mean, the company, they were big, really big, but it was, you melt the highway, that's a big liability yeah. claim, right? Yeah. So, 
so I remember being in the meeting, remember, you know, these group meetings with all the other advisors, and I'm sitting there in the meeting, and I said, look, we should really remove the, uh, this propane company. And the accountant goes, well, he doesn't want to do that. And the client looks at the accountant and goes, why don't I want to do it? He says, well, that's another tax return. You don't want to... And the, and the attorney goes, I think he can handle that extra cost with the tax return. <laughs> you know, so, you know, we really did a good job of putting the pieces together, or, or in that case, taking the pieces apart to make sure that he had some protection. Right. And in spite of that, uh, you know, a gas truck tipped over, and thankfully it didn't leak into the ground and, you know, make a super fun site or something crazy like yeah, that. It's, those things happen. Those things. I want to I address a couple of other things. One is... When you begin an exit planning engagement, or maybe it's just a business owner engagement at first, how does that differ, if at all, uh, between what you used to do as a life insurance advisor, uh, kind of a one-trick pony, I would say? Does that has It was it, a good trick. It was a good trick, I know. And you've been very successful with that trick over the last 44 years, but... I think it's probably changed your approach to representation. It, it has. Um, so I have a narrative that I use with clients called the parallel paths. Uh, the first path being protection path, which is about protection from liability and disability and death. And the second path being the wealth accumulation path, or if he's wealthy enough, the wealth shifting path. And as I talk through that, they go, oh, that makes sense. And I say, well, here's your problem, right? In this, in this world that you live in, the wealth accumulation is mostly your business. And what I found to be true, now this is before I know anything about the case, what I found to be true is that typically for a business owner, 90% of their non-housing wealth is in their business. Yeah. And I'll usually get somebody to nod, just like you're nodding right yeah. now, and I'll say, so here's the deal. If we don't make sure that you have the ability to monetize that value at some point. Because I will tell you, everybody leaves their business, either voluntarily or involuntarily. We have to figure out a way to make sure that that is likely to happen. All, otherwise, all you may have left is that 10% of non-housing wealth is financial, yeah. or some, you know, some piece in the middle. And to a man, or to a woman, or to a person, they say, that makes sense. And then I say, I'd like to get some data be able to figure out what's going on here. So I, I think that the conversation about arguably the biggest asset that a business owner has, has changed the entire, well, it's changed the conversation to allow them to get that I'm not just an estate planning guy. Mm -hmm. Like I'm conscious of the concerns. One of the things, and this is what I teach young advisors is when you're dealing with a client, it's important for the client to get that we understand the world that they live in. So that way they know that we know who they are. And then from there you can go into what's important to them. You know, in, in many in some cases I've worked on it, it's like I didn't know that actually until we started talking about people's third act and, and what they do after retirement and, and, and one of the exits, you know, it's funny. The uh, I think for many advisors, the conversation of exit planning is how much money do you want for your business at exit? But that is a that's the that's the money piece. But there's 
all these other pieces. Yeah. How do you want to treat your employees? How do you want to exist inside the community that you're in? Um, you know, I, I did an exit recently. Uh, this is an insider exit. He's, this fellow is going to be exiting over the next four years. We structured this. It was a, a lowest defensible value transaction. And, you know, throughout the entire process, and I got the attorney on board with this, but the entire process, this fellow knew that his employees are the people who got him to the dance. And so the way he's treated them, the way we structured the deal, so that, that way the way he wanted to treat them was realized, mm -hmm. was a very big deal because it wasn't just about the money. Um, he could have gotten the money in a lot of different places. Matter of fact, I, I think at the, there was a juncture where he had a chance to sell to a competitor, a chance to sell to an aggregator, or a chance to sell the employees, and he opted for the employee transaction. Was that an ESOP or just key employee buyout? Just key employee buyout, you know, <clears throat> lowest defensible value. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, he gave a, a four, four uh, people, two engineers and two sales, the opportunity to, to really have what they would have wanted. And, and he's still working there and hmm. um, he's still getting, you know, still got the buyout going on, but, but they, because they still need his advice and counsel. But it is a very friendly environment. There's no adversarial parties. It, it's just a nice. It's a nice thing to be able to do that for people. It, you know, from my it, perspective, I mean, standing in my shoes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things in in exit planning that we like to talk to our advisors about and train them is, you know, everybody, you know, to most people, an exit plan is when do I want to leave? How much money do I want? Who do I want to transfer? for the business to, and, and clearly those are probably universal objectives. But for many owners, and your example is perfect, that's not enough. They have, I call them aspirational goals or values-based goals. They Maybe they wanna keep the business in the community. Maybe they wanna preserve the legacy. Maybe they wanna, in your case, benefit the employees or some of the employees. So if you have that conversation, I think that's, easier to form a more enduring relationship with the business owner because it's not just about money. It's about what do you really want to do with the rest of your life and your business? Yeah. I saw a stat recently, John, that said like 70% of business owners that leave their business are miserable. <laughs> um, Is that why you and I are still working? I, well, I think we're working because we actually like what we do. Yeah. But, but I think in the 70% <laughs> case, it's a matter of they haven't figured out that piece of exit called, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? You know, I, I've heard, I'm going to play golf. Well, you can't play golf. I mean, I guess you could play golf six days, seven days a week. I guess you could. Yeah. You know, I've, I've done some commercial fishing. I've done recreational fishing. I know that my body would not last on the ocean for like three days in a row. It would be physically draining yeah. and exhausting, which would make me useless for another three days. So, there, so you know, people, many, many people have haven't thought through that. And, um, and know, that's how you help them. Yeah. I mean, I'm in, that's what you do is you help yeah. people understand that. I'm involved in a, another program where one of the, uh, it has nothing to do with exit planning, but it has to do with money. But one of the conversations is, is that if the true purpose for money is money itself, you can never have enough money. But if you have a purpose for money that is beyond money itself, like, 
family or charity or you know all those things, mm -hmm. then what you end up with is good enough. You know, I mean, you, you don't play the game to end up with the least amount. You still want to get the most, but it, it transforms the relationship. And I, I really do believe that part of our job is to have people envision that world that they want to live into. That's why we plan. Thanks, Vince. Thank you, John.